for October 29th, 2012. It's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 226. Hugh Grant, Beyond Thunderdome. Welcome to the Overthinking It Podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. <laughs> you know what that sound means. I'm your host, Spooky Matt Frather from Spooky Los Angeles, here to host your spooky podcast from the spooky edge of America. Uh, and actually, everyone else is about to get clobbered by Frankenstorm. So, panel, in honor of Frankenstorm, if you could name a weather phenomenon after a character in pop culture, uh, what would it be? My, um, my brother in West Coastness, uh, drink because it's not Fenzel, first in the alphabet. Uh, you must be feeling pretty pleased with yourself, Ben Adams. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Not uh, not living anywhere near the so-called Frankenstorm. So yep. you guys, you guys have fun with that. Oh, we will. So, so as as Matt mentioned, I recently moved uh, to to the West Coast, living in the Bay Area. So we don't really have weather per se, but uh, <laughs> I keep being told that there are earthquakes up here. I got out here, and everybody's like, "Oh my God, you're going to feel them!" Like it, within the next year, and I've been out here for about more than a year now, and haven't felt a thing. So uh, I'm going to go for the How I Met Your Mother of All Earthquakes. Uh, because it's something that everybody keeps talking about. Okay. <laughs> Never seen it. <laughs> is that, right. Is, is that the one where you where <laughs> I like it because it has a voiceover that comes with right. it. And the, the voiceover is everybody telling you what an, uh, what an experience it's going to be. Uh, what an experience it's going to be for you. I, you know, uh, the Bay Area had one. Uh, I ten or fifteen years ago, or twenty or eighty nine, I guess maybe was the San Francisco one. Um, so we, you are not uh, as due for just a huge earthquake as we in Southern California uh, are with our awesome San Andreas fault. Uh, you know, which is going to blow any day now. Right. That, that's supposedly, the there, oh, supposedly there was a little one a couple weeks ago, but I was I didn't feel it. I guess where I was, so I'm I'm still feeling cheated. Yeah, we had one. We had one uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, my girlfriend, who is uh, from the East Coast, didn't know what to do. And I like explained about like diving under the table and holding on to a leg in case the table like jiggles away from you. Uh, right. When I was a child, I was taught to go into a doorway because supposedly, so the reasoning went, those were the most uh, what fortified parts of a of a structure. Um, I guess because they're framed out or something, uh, but um, that's apparently a myth now. And you're supposed to grab, dive under a dive under a uh, table and grab on. But so, in the how I met your mother of all earthquakes, the safest place to be is that bar where they always go, right? Like <laughs> underneath that particular booth where they always sit, right? Um, hey. Speaking speaking of storms, I, this is this is totally off topic, and and I'm sorry for asking, Ben. But do, did you ever uh, sail through a storm? Uh, nothing, nothing too bad. They they we try to direct around those, but a couple times some pretty pretty bad seas, rough, rough 15, seas. 20 foot waves. Yeah, Oof. twenty foot wave, oh, man. Okay, 
Well, I'm a little motion <laughs> sensitive, so I'm going to move on. Uh, I think this is a chug in the Overthinking It uh, podcast drinking game because Fenzel <laughs> occupies neither the number one nor the number two slot uh, in the alphabetical lineup. It's Matt Belinke. <laughs> Thanks, guys. It almost seems like what's the point of being on the podcast if I can't be the sole recipient of Fenzel's ire for displacing him uh, in the number one slot? But uh, I'll, I'll try to find another reason to participate. Right, because um, the rage... I have, I, have so much, I have so much rage to give, Matt. Don't worry. There's yes. plenty to go around. I don't know, but it's the like white... A, like, not like a fire that you can spread. <laughs> um, let me see. So instead of Frankenstorm, a uh, question is a weather phenomenon inspired by pop culture. I'm going to go with the, the... And this is going to be difficult for me to pronounce correctly the first time. The M. Night Shama Hurricane... <laughs> M. Night Shama Huracan. So the deal with the M. Night Shama Huracan is that, like, before it comes, the weather reports are talking about how it's going to be crazy. It's going to be awesome. And you're really excited. And then when you're out, when it hits, you're sort of like, this isn't as, like, exciting a weather phenomenon as I was told. It's a little bit disappointing. But you know what? I think the end of it is going to be great. So I'm going to, and you're, you're kind of thinking it's like, maybe I should go and see if there's, like, some more weather on another channel. Uh, but you know what? You know what? Like you need to see the end of the storm. You need to sit through the eye of it, and then you get to the end of the storm, and it turns out that your umbrella is an alien, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> or that, or that plants are trying to and kill. And they're afraid of water. Yeah, or like the like the actual yeah. aliens and signs. They were actually a little spooky until you actually saw them. Until you actually saw them on yeah. the screen. So you have that like fluttery, terrified feeling until the first drop of rain falls, and you feel, you realize that it's not. Um... Yeah, but they're they're I mean, evacuating uh, large parts of of New York, right, Matt? And I don't know if I would, I don't know if I'd use the word large parts, like select. I mean, Coastal, low-lying coastal areas, yes, are, are they, they've issued mandatory evacuations. Oh, yeah, areas. I guess I, the map I saw had, like, three tiers, and the, the, if, if, if they evacuated, like, all three tiers, it would be a large amount of area, but the, the, it was just right. little strips in, like, Battery Park or, you know, I don't know, little yeah. inlets places. Yeah, I mean, like, if you live in a box, like, at the Staten Island Ferry, then you should probably get out of there about now. But, like, I don't, I don't think there's, like, too many people. I, I'd be like, yes, there are, there are more people in my hometown that I grew up in than there are, than there are, I mean, what I'm saying is, like, there are a lot of people in Zone A, but not by New York standards. Mm-hmm. So we'll be, we'll be fine. Um, I was, I'm not, see, now I'm actually thinking about the M. Night Shyamalan Huracan movie, and I think the deal would be, like, for the whole movie, you think that the hurricane is what you're supposed to be afraid of, and then it turns out at the end that the aliens look like umbrellas, and the whole thing has been applied by them to get them in every home, and as soon as, like, the sun comes out, the umbrellas attack. Don't give him any ideas, Matt. (laughs) I actually would love to see, like, a crazy five-minute special effects sequence where everyone is stabbed to death by, like, umbrellas that, like, impale them and then open while they're inside them. (laughs) It's like like a hard R umbrella impalement sequence. As opposed to the usual PG-13 umbrella impalement sequences. (laughs) I'm going to announce right now, I'm only going to see the M. Night Shyamalan Hurricane movie if they make it a hard R. They need to not not pull their punches. (laughs) Uh, All right. Now now you can drink again because you filled up your drink again uh, by now. It's Peter Fenzel. Hey, how's it going? Uh, So I'm going to go with the Walter White Christmas 
which starts out all nice, but then uh, becomes the the Heisen Blizzard, and it has terrible, horrifying consequences. Like it starts out like, so what are your predictions for the for the snowfalls? Like, well, you know, we'll get a little bit of snow. It'll come down over the weekend, and you get come, and it's like close the bridge. You're goddamn right. You know, like evacuate. Yeah, you know, like it's all about me. It's all about me. Uh, I, you know, um, stay out of my territory and whatnot. I am the one who snows and hails and shuts down the LIE and whatnot. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. And you have to all wear those little black hats. That's, uh, it's, those would sell like hotcakes during the Heisen Blizzard. I am the so. sound of boots on the roof. I am the jolly fat belly full of jelly that no shakes like a bowl full of jelly. There's like two feet of snow outside and a pizza on everybody's garage. (laughs) Uh, All right, Mark. Mark Lee. I feel feel obligated to name a weather phenomenon after an Arnold Schwarzenegger character. So here I go. I'm referring, of course, to the the weather phenomenon that involves uh, liquid precipitation falling to the earth uh, while uh, the the, the ground temperature is at or below freezing temperature. Um, And so in addition to the liquid rain falling at such a low temperature, um, it also brings about a high high degree of puns in bad Austrian accents. I am, of course, referring to the Mr. Freezing Rain. Uh, uh, what what's the tagline? Right, the the Mister Freeze tagline. That <laughs> For the, 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 the tagline, of course, is, is chill out, but don't but don't but chill out in a way where the the rain can stay liquid and not be snow or hail. <laughs> would it really be puns, or would the weather report be like, "What's it going to be like? Cold. It's going to be cold with ice. Really, like ice everywhere. Cold." <laughs> it's like, can you provide some details about it? It's like chill, chilly, cold, ice, freeze, cold. She's cold as ice. She's um, willing to sacrifice our love. <laughs> I don't need instructions to know how to rock. All right, jeez. <laughs> So mine, uh, mine, like Ben, I also want to uh, tip my hat to the undifferentiated weather here on the East Coast. And uh, so I, my weather phenomenon is the Sunshine Worthington, which is the blandest, uh, most undifferentiated uh, weather of all. Uh, a weather that is neither too hot uh, nor too cold. A weather that you almost sort of don't even notice. Uh, named after uh, iconically bland actor Sam Worthington. It's the sunny 68 of, uh, you know, of cinema and of meteorology. I mean, did you see Man on Ledge, Matt? (laughs) He gets, he's like really composed and moderate and stuff, but he's on a ledge. (laughs) That totally raises the stakes. (laughs) I I saw the one where he was a robot. Um, And the Uh, one where he was... That's all of them. (laughs) (laughs) And the one where he was John Smith and... uh, when he is a robot, when he's inside a robot, <laughs> around um, robots, eating dinner with he's robots. Like, he's like a, he's like a turd robot Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I, I, uh, I searched for a list. I googled a list of bland actors um, in order to pick one. Uh, and so someone has made a, a list of bland actors on IMDb. And some of these definitely belong here. Taylor Lautner, Paul Walker, Hayden Christensen, um, you know, but some, some of them don't. Uh, Dwayne, the rock Johnson is on here. Michael Sarah is on here. 
Um, I would say bland. Just because you don't like them doesn't mean they're bland. Right. Zach Braff, Zach Braff is pretty bland, but he's kind of deadpan. It's not, I mean, there's a difference right between bland and deadpan, isn't there? Yeah. Ryan Reynolds. I think Paul Walker here. really strikes me as the ultimate in blandness somehow. Who? Paul Walker yeah, I think is, sure. is a really perfect yeah. example of that list. It's like a portmanteau of blonde and bland. He's bland. <laughs> what about Brandon Ruth? Wow, I haven't seen him in enough to really say whether he's bland. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, Brandon Ruth, he was Superman, and then he was, uh, I think he's doing... One of the bad guys in, um, in Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Right. He and was, that was it. He, no, he, he was also on Chuck for a little while, wasn't he? And, and I think he's doing an arc on Nikita right now on the CW. From the Man of Steel to the network uh, of Synergy. They're doing more La Femme Nikita stuff? There, is, that, is that related to La Femme Nikita, that whole it is, franchise? Yeah, yeah, it's the, the, it's the television remake starring Maggie Q. Uh, Maggie wow. Q, right? Let me ask you a, from, a, a who is from about... Die Hard, uh, Die Hard uh, not Die Hard, oh, come on, Matt, uh, who's from Mission Impossible 3. She's one of the team members. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Wait, let me let me ask you a question about this branded Ruth situation, which is something I was wondering about recently. When a when an actor who becomes famous through films um, makes the leap to television, is that always sort of an acknowledgement of a diminishment in stature? No, not a, not well, anymore. Not right, that, not anymore. Actually, now the talk in in the entertainment industry is how all the movie people are taking the TV parts and uh, everyone kind of goes down one, right? The, the TV leads become sort of TV recurrings. The recurrings become guest stars. The guest stars become co-stars. Uh, you know, the co-stars become under fives and the, you know, and then the people who... And the entire, yeah. The, everyone the entire takes, cast of, of Law and Order goes to work at the diner again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's right, whole... but like, isn't it? Isn't it when um, you know, I'm I'm trying to come up. Like Tom Hanks is not going to star in a TV show because like Tom Hanks is a movie star. Julia Roberts is a movie star. Well, like Gary Sinise stars in like CSI New York. That's sort of an acknowledgement that like Gary Sinise is not is not his co-star in Apollo 13. He's not Tom Hanks. No, I mean that's I and I think that's not true. Maybe I, I think that's not true anymore. I mean like I I might get hate mail for saying this, but but for me the interesting writing. The sort of interesting storytelling, the stuff I'm interested in watching, by and large, is on television, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, you know, the films, by and large, seem to be kind of these these uh, comic book franchises over and over, employing the likes of Taylor Lautner and Paul Walker and, well, not Hayden Christensen, he's not working a lot, but, like, Sam Worthington <laughs> and, the, you know... Things like that, right? Like, how many, how many Ryan Reynolds as Green Lantern can you see? Yeah, uh, I think only one. Are they making another? <laughs> I hope not. Maybe they are. I guess this, I don't they don't know. understand the sunk cost fallacy. So they're going to go for it. <laughs> Green Lantern right. 2, good money after bad. <laughs> he, he might be in, uh, in the Justice League movie. Like, uh, the last I heard of the Justice League movie is actually going to happen. And they're going to need to populate that with various DC characters of various tiers, right? It's going to be weird because they're going to have to introduce like a new Batman for the Justice League movie. Yeah. You know, yeah, and suppo- supposedly they're not doing a separate Batman movie before Justice League. He's going to be new in the Justice League movie. Wow. Huh. There's a lot of risk there. 
I hope it's like Tony Shalhoub. <laughs> but in a way, in a way, it could be nice because, as far as we're concerned, like the Hulk was kind of new for the Avengers movie. You know what I mean? Like theoretically, it was a sequel to the Edward Norton movie. But basically, like that was their way of like rebooting the Hulk 3.0. Maybe yeah. that was a bad example, but like, let's. I guess I, I'm trying to think of a. No, I guess the Black Widow had been in a previous movie. Hawkeye had been in a previous movie. A little before. bit. But she I, showed up a little bit in, yeah. in Iron Man. But I don't too. think. I don't think there's necessarily a, the harm in sort of like introducing what could be a hot new character as part of an ensemble thing. And then, in fact, that's the way it works in comic books a lot, right? You bring somebody into X Men comic book, and when they're a big hit, then you have like you know you're like you know Cable, you know live at the live at the Acropolis. <laughs> <laughs> but to sort of return to your to, to return to your point, like I yeah, it, TV is not looked at as the same kind of um, demotion, right? Like Glenn Close and damages. It wasn't just that she had like you know I don't know boat payments to make or or something like that. And in fact, like I you know Nicolas Cage, right? Like has. Uh, you know, I don't know more alimony to pay than than Glenn Close does going to television. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I actually right. don't know if if Nick Nicholas Cage has alimony to pay, or you know, I don't know, a second mortgage, yeah. second yeah. mortgage, or or something like that. But it seems like it seems like uh, movie people are sort of going to uh, going to to TV in in record numbers. Alec yeah. I think I think the real the real test of that theory is if. Uh, if you could round trip it, if you could go from like being a movie star to a TV star and then go to being a bit. And I was thinking about that when you said Glenn Close, because she was in Albert Nobbs last year, which was not a big hit, but was a big enough hit to get her nominated for, I believe, Best Actress, right? It was, well, yeah, I mean, it was a prestige movie. And it's, I mean, those, right. those and it kinds went to of Glenn things. Close, though. Yeah, and the, those kinds of things, right? Like they express, they're, they're all really stupid, right? All the awards are, are to a certain extent really stupid, but they, they do express the like, the approbation of a community, right? Of the kind of like highbrow part of the the movie community, right? And so, like, yeah, she hadn't lost her she hadn't lost her her status, you know, as the they were like, oh, you can't give it to Glenn Close. She's doing TV now. Yeah, she's doing she's dam- not- Yeah, she's doing damages, which got you know kicked off of basic cable, and now is like being what? What is it? It's on a. Uh, a channel that's just on DirecTV or Dish or something like something like that, right? She now she's just on satellite, which I think is also what Friday Night Lights did. But um, like, uh, who's the first one you can think of? Like, I'm thinking of Danny DeVito doing Always Sunny like seven years ago, maybe six years ago, something like that. He seemed to to kind of herald this uh, this trend. He, you know, Danny as as with so many things. Um, as with being in Batman movies, Danny DeVito did it before it was cool. <laughs> Sarah Jessica Parker also is kind of a big deal in that. Yeah, right. yeah. sure, right? Yeah, from Sex and the City and sort of making that plunge. Like the, the sort of um, – the, the introduction of the sort of premium hour – well, actually, Sex and the City was a half hour or was it an hour? I forget. Yeah, but it was, it was, it was a half a hour. Post, But it was a yeah. post-Sopranos – you know, yeah, it's a post-Sopranos television right. show, and then more networks want to do post-Sopranos television, and so more of it fleshes out, right? Right. Um, and she yeah, was yeah. she was in a lot of like big Hollywood movies before Sex in the City. Did Sex in the City, and like continues to be right. So okay, 
I'm, I'm taking it back. The, the idea that like doing television is sort of an acknowledgement that you can't cut it in the in the just movie world. Uh, though that was not that was not always the that was not always the case. I mean, I think that's a relatively yeah. recent phenomenon. And someone like someone like Sally Field, who went from television to films, is kind of seen as an anomaly. And like, I sort of part of her like you like me, you really like me thing was kind of was I I think probably like authentic sort of right. amazement. Thank that, God I never have to go back to television again. Well, no, the kind of amazement that this community had actually accepted her. You know what I mean? Where yeah. the, where there you know there used to be, uh, and now it's all owned by Rupert Mur- Murdoch anyway. So like any anyone who's you know claims they're better than anybody else is is just full of it. Hey, you know what else was full of it? Cloud Atlas. Boom! There it is, <laughs> guys. It's connected. Let's just let's take a minute and just explain the things that are happening right now on the podcast. We're all here on this podcast. We all met from various places, and we connected on this podcast where we can talk to each other. And sometimes when people meet and talk to each other and they connect over long distances, there's a conversation that happens. There. They, now multiply that by two hours and forty five minutes. <laughs> it is not a short film, and yeah, there are there are parts where it drags. So Pete and I are the only ones who Pete and I are, are the only ones who saw Cloud Atlas. Pete, I I think I should let you. I think I did not. I I don't seem to have the same white hot hatred that that you have <laughs> for for this film. For Cloud Atlas, as it were. <laughs> I was calling it. I mean, I went to it not wanting to see it. Like I went to it because I wanted to podcast with you about it. And it turns out that no one else saw the movie. No one else actually listened to my email and was like, Like, the only people that are there are like podcasters. Exactly. Like like, taking notes. I mean, this is a side note. Like, the box office performances were terrible. So, like, podcasters and bloggers that really might have constituted the entire audience for this movie this weekend. Yeah, definitely. I definitely wanted to leave a whole bunch of times. Like, it was tedious. Like, it was really tedious. I mean, I spent a lot of time thinking about it because it's easy just to sort of indiscriminately bash it and just be like, man, that was really boring. Like, that was like the fifth most fun thing I did today. And, you know, with like a bowel movement and lunch, like ranking solidly <laughs> of it. Like, uh, like, I remember thinking when I had, I had a nice burger for lunch today and I thought, wow, this burger's kind of expensive. It's more expensive than a movie ticket. And then I saw Cloud Atlas and I was like, it's worth it. It's definitely worth, worth it. <laughs> <laughs> the relative, yeah, you were economically lined up in all of your decisions. But I don't want to just say, oh, it's pretentious. I don't want. To, I definitely don't want to say it's self-indulgent because I feel like that takes you down the wrong road. That is a something. That it you is. Could it level. is, however, pretentious, and it is self-indulgent. It is both of those things. But that's not the grounds uh, upon which you wish to object. Exactly, because I feel like a lot of things that are self-indulgent are awesome. Like Jackass is awesome. Is there- <laughs> 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 um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. That- And we lose Pete. In the the, the, I mean, maybe you, maybe you would agree with me. Maybe you won't on this. But the biggest problem. What? Oh, we I'm lost. Here. We lost Hello? you for a second. But but keep on trucking, brother. You're coming. Okay, you're okay. coming in five by five. I, I I don't know whether you would agree with this or not. But I felt like the biggest problem with Cloud Atlas, and you guys get the general sense of it, which is that it's six different movies, right? That are all being told in parallel. Yeah. Right. Now, uh, I have not read the book, but I had an extended conversation with a friend of mine who had prior to this podcast, after I saw the movie, to kind of put things in context. In the book, the stories are told in succession. Like, half of the stories are told in the first half of the book in chronological order, and then there's sort of one story in the middle, and then all the other stories are then finished, right? And so there's this way where you progress from one story into the next story, and you recognize patterns from the previous stories in the next story, and each story is a totally different genre, 
right? And it has a different tone, has a different feeling, different characters. In this movie, all the stories are told in parallel. Uh, and, and they introduce this whole thing of people being played by the same actors to represent the reincarnations of different souls throughout the ages, which isn't really in the book, uh, but that doesn't really matter. Uh, it's to a degree, it's different. But the thing is that be- all the movies should be very different genres because they're just totally different stories. Right. Uh, but because they're all edited right next to each other and because they're really focused on trying to get the movie to hang together and they have all this explanation and all this contextualization, it flattens out the tone of the movie. Right, so that all the all the stories kind of feel like they're part of the same story, kind of, um, but they never really depart from this kind of architect from the matrix kind of doldrums tone that uh, permeates the movie. And the the, uh, the, the soundtrack doesn't help in this respect, right? The kind of right. the kind of drone that that sort of continues, the the quasi ominous drone that continues throughout the movie and sort of links links everything together. And like actually a a piece of music entitled like the Cloud Atlas piece or the Cloud Atlas, I forget what it is, sextet or something like that, yeah. um, is a plot point in in the film, and it sort of it sort of runs through. The uh, yeah, it sort of runs through the film, but yeah. So it's been uh, so the idea. I did not know that about the book, uh, Pete. So the, you're saying the the film has been like Syrianified. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And I mean, it, this would if it were Syriana, in which all the stories do have sort of something in common that's tonal, right? Then it would be cool. But the issue is that like one of the stories is a paper of an escape from a nursing home. Another one of the stories is a '70s cop drama. Another one is like. You know, a crazy is like a dystopian Blade Runner futuristic story, you know, about like artificial humans, you know, and, and then like one of his like Herman Melville, right? Like they're just so different from each other and they really don't get a chance to breathe in this movie. There's, there's no, this movie should be really funny, I feel, right? Like if you're making a movie that has all these weird departures that are all going in these different directions, there should be lots of moments of like recognition where you're just like, that's funny. Like that's funny stuff. Um, and I feel like it's because they homogenize it so much and they force it together so much, it, it just loses its sort of sense of exploration. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was definitely the sense that I got from I, You know what, um, so Pete, let me submit to you something that uh, – let me submit to you something that, that I think maybe is kind of the link between all of these things. And it's, it's uh, the theme of exploitation, right? Mm-hmm. And it, I, I uh, kind of, a kind of sort of righteous rumination on, on the theme of – of exploitation uh, on the right. theme of like one class of people sort of being able through superior technology or through various economic kinds of power or you know by by happenstance or what have you being able to like subjugate another uh, group of people because of the half dozen stories that are told um kind of interweaving or that are sort of intercut right in this mm-hmm. in this film one of them has to do with uh uh american slavery right yeah and this is this is something this is like a cheap way of of raising the stakes and i was trying to think of i you know i was trying to think of how i wanted to formulate my objection to this move that happens a lot in storytelling and i mean the obvious ones are like slavery and the holocaust and and here's what i came up with 
in computer programming, in a lot of computer programming languages, there's a statement uh, called something like import, where you pull the contents of one file into another file uh, in the current scope of, of wherever you are. So, like, you can import a set of variable definitions into the global scope or into a function or into a class or something like that. You can import, say you have, like, a, a file that does all your database work for you like that. You can import all the database stuff so you don't have to rewrite it, you know, in every, you know, in every single function that you use, so you have the, the database available to you. And it seems, it seems like the sort of lazy, the lazy writing move is like import Holocaust, you know, import, <laughs> yeah, you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like objectification oriented programming, right? Like <laughs> import, right. Import American chattel slavery, right? Like the, yep, the, yep. the idea, um, you know, uh, the idea is that, like, this is how we establish the kind of moral seriousness of our film is by kind of importing a uh, importing a historical event um, uh, into it. And and I felt like, you know, that was going on here, uh, obviously, which, you know, which is of a piece uh, with the, the general pretentiousness, the general self-righteousness, um, I, which I, like you, kind of don't want to go into. But, you know, I, I want to talk about, like, let's, let's do the kind of overthinking it move and, like, assume that this is intentional, right? Um, it's, I, you know, slight spoiler alert. I guess there's there's sort of a happy ending, but it's such a lukewarm happy ending once you consider the chronology. Um, uh, there's, there's a frame story that involves um, Tom Hanks and a lot of makeup. And, r- right, like, when, when you consider the frame story and sort of place it in, in the chronology, I, I guess that's a reasonably good outcome, right? But it, it's so lukewarm as to kind of not, a, and it's so kind of emotionally unsatisfying that it doesn't sort of get over the the kind of pervasive theme of exploitation, right? Like in in the the Blade Runner story, you know, there's a class of artificial, um, and you know, I'm trying I'm trying not to give anything away in case you know you care about being surprised by this film but like uh there's a class of you know artificially created uh humans right of sort of like cloned or whatever like biological entities right in the slavery story there's you know slaves in the um uh in the tom hanks and a lot of makeup storyline in that chronology there's a uh, a bunch of um uh, face painted cannibals, right? Yeah. Who I like to call that story uh, Hugh Grant Beyond Thunderdome, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I really strongly feel like if you just made Hugh Grant Beyond Thunderdome, because you got to see Hugh Grant in his getup, like he's got the skull painted on his face, he's riding on a horse painted like a skeleton, he's wearing this crazy chicken outfit, uh, he's just wait, this terrorizing. Wait, you mean Hugo Weaving? No, Hugo Weaving is as comes in later. It's actually one of the other guys. I'm pretty sure that <laughs> Wait, the Hugh, main yeah, guy Hugh, who ter- Hugo Weaving in 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 that storyline is the uh, is the devil. Uh, oh, he's the, the evil leprechaun. Yeah, That's the, right. the green faced, <laughs> big nosed, large hatted devil who yeah. uh, appears to to Tom Hanks in his um, yeah, yeah yeah in his moments of weakness. Yeah, exactly. And Grant. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He, yeah. Hugh that, Grant is like a post-apocalyptic leader of the like raider cannibal raiders. Is it possible they just oh. walked into each other's trailers and like accidentally <laughs> Hugh Grant ended up doing like the Hugo Weaving role? 
Uh, Hugo Weaving's doing the Hugo Weaving role. I mean, maybe Hugo <laughs> Weaving is accidentally doing the Warwick Davis role because Warwick Davis walked out of the project or something. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, if, if it were just a movie about Hugh Grant's band of post-apocalyptic cannibal horsemen, that would probably be a more interesting movie than the one. But yeah, to finish your list, yeah, there's that. there's also the senior citizens in the senior citizens' home. Well, right, like, yeah, yeah. And that, that actually, I think that was the most interesting one for me because, like, A, it was a little bit of fun. B, yeah. I think Jim Broadbent, you know, uh, acted circles around pretty much the rest of everyone else. Um, yeah. And C, it involved awesome Scottish accents, which is, you know, always a plus in movies. Also, not directed by the Wachowskis, that part of the movie. Yeah. They, so, oh, this was, I mean, this was interesting. They, they were, and I think actually the Wachowskis um, split up, uh, Lana and, and her brother, uh, split up uh right and so they they directed singly right their their bits because the i think each director took two two of the storylines um i mean it must have been a logistical nightmare it, it you know it's it's pretty cool to sort yeah. of consider from an actuarial perspective <laughs> Yeah. Let, me, let me ask you this, man. You know a little about the business of Hollywood. What's the logic of the – clearly somebody thought this movie would be a bigger hit than it was. Is it just that like you know, from the directors of The Matrix comes a new vision of, of interconnectivity? Or, or like you know, is it just – was there a way to market this movie that would have gotten the butts of the seats? Well, I, I mean I think the movie kind of has to be a little better. You know, and and maybe okay, a little, gotcha. you know, to get to get the butts in the seats, like I, you know, right? Like it's not. Maybe I'm I'm insufficiently cynical, but I think it's not all a question of marketing. I think actually that like, well. you know, some films are good and and their quality actually matters. You know, to yeah. to to yeah. Uh, Inception was sell. Inception is a very difficult movie to explain, but it was really good and, and word of mouth was very strong and it sort of overcame its its difficult concept, right? Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I think it helps. I think it helps that Inception, generically, and like I said, I said this at the beginning, but like Inception generically is a very familiar film, right? It's a heist film, you know. Yeah. And I, I and I think that it's and I think that also some of the maybe the more sentimental aspects of of Inception um, helped it. Uh, I have no idea what Juno was doing in that movie, right? Like why it had to be Juno. Anyway, sorry, I digress. I mean, this is not... I mean, just to jump in quickly, one thing to remember about Cloud Atlas is that it was independently financed. It was not studio, primarily studio financed. Warner Brothers was on board eventually, mostly because of their relationship with the Wachowskis, but they had to raise money from all over the place. They had people, it was part of it was paid for by the German Film Fund. They had investors in Asia. They had investors in Europe. People were leaving. You know, they had to keep replacing the money. They put a lot of their own money into it. It's by far the most expensive, independently financed movie of all time. And the, uh, well, really? Yeah, yeah. So more I, than a hundred million dollar budget. Yeah. So I saw this. I, I saw this movie a couple weeks ago in a screening that that was connected with a panel of the actors uh, in the film. So so the the like the whole cast. I mean the whole you know uh, principal cast of the the film was there like answering questions about it. And Tom Hanks in this uh, in this Q and A told a story about 
um, the Wachowskis, like I, you know, I was on the phone with the Wachowskis and they said, uh, Tom, we, we have a, a briefcase full of $3 million for our movie and it's stuck. Uh, the guy who was carrying it out of Beijing on an airplane, uh, got arrested. So we need to, we need to like get 3 million cash out of Beijing in order to, so I think actually perhaps the film about financing this movie might be more interesting than, uh, <laughs> Than the, than the than the wow. movie that they ended up making. Not I, I not I'm sorry. I, I I don't mean to jump on the 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 Fenzel bag, bandwagon and drink all the haterade because it's I, just fun to do. It's just fun yeah, to I do. Know. That I, I didn't. I actually didn't react to it as negatively. I, there are things about it that are silly. Is the word you know what I mean? Is the word that that I would use. Um, and, and, I would use the word stupid, but yeah, silly also. Works. <laughs> and, yeah, and a couple I mean, things right. about a couple things about it that are that are yeah. maybe a little insulting, um, like Korean Hugo weaving <laughs> with full on like prosthetic like eye flaps, like yeah. <laughs> prosthetic, wait, 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 prosthetic wait, wait. eye flaps. And weaving and is like, like is in yellow face in this. Basically, is that what you're saying? Yes. Oh my gosh! Okay. <laughs> Everyone is. Everyone is in yellow face. James James Darcy is in yellow face. Halle Berry is in yellow face. Wow. And they take the Korean actress, and then in one scene they turn her into a Mexican lady, and she's sassy and yells a lot, and then they call her a wetback, which is awful. Do they actually do that? Yes. Yes. And then they shoot her dog in front of her for no reason. (laughs) So bad. The dog is also weaving. I mean, Hugo Weaving shoots her dog, right? Like Keith David is in yellow face. Keith David from They Live. David's this movie. Yeah, he plays like the the like roughneck security guy in like the seventies cop drama. Guys, this movie is. Very useful for the Kevin Bacon game. This is <laughs> no wait, just let me let me point out something that I think I think Matt was trying to get at, which is like it, it goes without saying that in the year 2012, so many movies are remakes or based on board games or like sequels to reboots of 80s cartoon shows. You know what I mean? And so it's like at the very least. Win or lose, at least like here's a bunch of people who could be off making Speed Racer 2 who have chosen instead to do something really ambitious and really different. And I feel like they they it's 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 not that like we can't pretend to like the movie if we didn't like it. We can't pretend it's good if it's not good. But I feel it wouldn't it be nice if it were good and it were a big success? Like, <laughs> right. I mean it is based on a successful book, right? Like uh well, sure, but, sure, but sure. It's like, it's too bad that like this movie can't be one of those things where like everybody at Hollywood is going to wake up and realize that like we're waiting for more cloud atlases out there. <laughs> the story of how it actually started is kind of funny, which is that the Wachowskis were working on V for Vendetta, and uh, Natalie Portman was reading the book on set and was like totally into it, and she got them to get into the book, and then they sort of became possessed with making the project. So you can thank uh, Natalie Portman for the existence of this movie. It's, and the, buzz, it's, the, it's the buzz cut. It sucks out that you know that Ivy League education. <laughs> I'm sure the book is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. not in the movie, you'll note. <laughs> so. You know that there are some movies that like they do really badly and you're happy you have like a sort of shout of Freudian because the movie was like a very crass cynical commercial exercise. Sure. And it Green, Lan- Green Lantern. Right. Yes. And it's a good teaching moment for the studios. And this is like the opposite. This is a movie where it's like, oh if only it had been good. I guess actually that that's not quite true. There's some movies that are like like the Scott Pilgrim versus the world is one of those that like it hurt me that it wasn't more successful because it really deserved to be. And it would have it would have uh, launched a bunch of other good movies had it been more successful. 
Yeah. Well, okay. So let me, let me let, is this really a good teaching moment? No, not having seen the movie, like I'm, I'm basing this on what I'm hearing you guys talk about and what I've read about it. I mean, these like, what, how many different storylines are there? Four or five? Six. Six. I don't mean Six to, different I don't mean story to lines. Like it, it sounds like, well, like how are you possibly going to get that to translate into the art form that we commonly understand as cinema? Right. I mean, like, is it's like, doesn't this movie have sort of, it sounds like it has like a, this fatal flaw and that like it is trying to take the medium of cinema, which is used for telling stories in a particular way uh, and like doing, trying to do way too much with it. Now, granted, like we have not by any means explored all the furthest depths of, you know, storytelling, storytelling techniques in the, the feature film format of roughly between two and three hours or, or one and a half to three hours of a movie. Uh, but this is like just sort of like way beyond that and, and, and just sort of showing like, well, this is what you can't do. This is obviously what you can't do with movies. Well, we can't. Uh, yeah, we haven't we haven't even begun. We haven't even begun to scratch the surface because of the the stylistic. Uh, conservatism, right, of the the genre, probably because there's a huge multi-billion dollar industry um, behind it, right? Like, And, like, that's actually why Scott Pilgrim's not setting the world on fire was kind of a disappointment because, like, there there was a movie that was actually kind of doing interesting things with, with the language. Uh, on that score, by the way, um, you know, Crank... And uh, crank two high voltage are are also great successes because they they really do because they are superior artistic objects. That's why. <laughs> but they like I mean in terms of like doing things like putting text on the screen right like inter- integrating different kinds of screen practice like computer screen or like superimposing things and and uh, uh, stuff like that and and certain more um, oh I don't know slightly less. Uh, slightly more representative, right? Like um, kinds of things in there. I, I just I want to point out. Sorry, I want to continue on this track, but I would like to point out the just the the bald faced hubris of this podcast, right? Which is that like this is a good teachable moment for the for the studios, and I I like to imagine <laughs> I like to imagine the sort of uh, uh, chairmen and women and the uh, the you know executives sitting in a, a circle right at our feet as though they are a kind of uh, kindergarten classroom. Right. And we're we're saying to um, uh, oh, who's the guy from Warner's? Uh, we're saying we're saying to uh, up Bugs Bunny, that man. <laughs> <laughs> to Mel yes. Blanc. Right. Like yeah. uh, we're saying to the um, to the executives. Now, this is a very good moment We're we're not mad at you, but we, we want <laughs> you to understand that defecating <clears throat> in the classroom is, you know, not a good idea. Poop belongs yeah. in the toilet, not in the multiplex. Right. Uh, like, you hurt our feelings when this... you make a Catwoman movie where she wears like a bra out in public. <laughs> um, no, I mean, of course, what I meant by a teaching moment is like the box office is what teaches them, and that we we like as moviegoers, as overthinkers, when good movies make a lot of money, that's a, sort of a positive teaching moment, and when bad movies, when badly made sort of like uh, movies that were obviously slapped together make a ton of money, that's like a bad teaching moment because like you know success breeds success. Sure. Uh, so like uh, like John Travolta in A Civil Action, you are saying that the way that these corporations apologize is with their wallets. 
Now, keep, I, keep in mind, the studios don't need to be taught because they didn't make this movie. They, they were like, oh, yeah, that movie's not going to make any money. It's going to lose tens of millions of dollars. We're right, not going to make it. Yeah, exactly. Like, this, this movie is doing nothing but encouraging more comic book movies. It does nothing but verify the studio's assumptions like, right. yep. We don't. No, we don't want to be part of that. Yeah, we got. We got a winning formula. We made the Avengers this summer. Yeah, right? exactly. There's, 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 there's a great. Oh, go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I would just say I'm sort of bitter at the at the Wachowskis. Wachowskis. Which one is it? One of those. I'm sort of like. I feel like if you're going to make the most expensive big budget independent film ever, you have like a greater than normal responsibility that it succeed. Because like you know, if it succeeds, that you're you might like open the eyes of somebody at the studio and be like, wow, movies, you know, big budget movies with like you know ambitious stories and unconventional narrative techniques can actually make money. And if and if it doesn't succeed, then they're like, okay, so maybe Ryan Reynolds is available for Green Lantern too. <laughs> It's, it's kind of like, yeah, uh, you, you sort of wish it were like from the from the directors of Matrix One, right, comes Cloud Atlas, where it's more like from the directors of, of Matrix Revolutions comes Cloud Atlas. But to go back to what Mark said for a second, um, I really don't think that the biggest problem with this movie is that it's trying to tell six stories at once. Right. I think the, I think this is a case where it's not it's the cure is what's do is what's making you sick. It's it's all the things that they did and all the compromises they made to try to make it make sense in sort of reducing the six movies to one story that really present the problem. Like, you know, for example, having these actors play the same, play like different roles, uh, sort of implying that these people are kind of reincarnated or different versions of the same soul or something. Like, the commercials... Yeah, and the tattoo thing, is the the birthmark thing from the book? A lot of crucial... The the other stuff isn't, it's just the birthmark stuff. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not that it being from the book is the supreme authority on it, but... You would think from this convention, this is like a pretty heady, high-concept convention, you'd think that the movie would sort of address it, right? That it would be important to the movie. No, right, yeah, yeah. I was wondering exactly the same thing. What the hell is the birthmark thing doing there? Or like, where where is the... You know what it, you know what it was missing is kind of like a master plot or a sense of like, sort of, a, a, a sense of what it all means, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because birthmark. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it talks all about – one of the funny things about it is there's these big speeches about kind of metaphysics and about reincarnation and about all this stuff. But there's no reason to believe that the people who are in the movie understand these things, right? Like, like it's like we sort of would see why the person would believe in reincarnation because we see them also playing an Asian person, right? But it's like they don't see that. Like they don't really know. Why, why, what, on what authority are they just sort of saying this? Right? Why is this this the focus? And I think that um, and like you know, there are actors who play characters who are very different, and there aren't really clear arcs and connections between the characters that they play, which I guess sort of makes sense if you believe in reincarnation because you don't see the same people who look exactly the same pop up over and over again. Reincarnation can't work that way if it works, right? But still, like it, you would think it would be more important. You would think that it would matter, um, but instead, you know, you've sort of smushed it together. And you've kind of thrown out the baby with the bathwater. You've like, you've uh, you've over you've overfixed it. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Let me. Can I ask a question to the people who have seen it? The way you describe it, it seems almost suspiciously similar to uh, the Fountain from two thousand and six. That that is in fact the movie that the studios used to market its market performance. Uh, they okay. that like yeah, and the Fountain did poorly, so that's why they didn't fund Cloud Atlas. The, um, the Fountain no, did, did do, but, but yeah. 
It's it's the same thing. I mean, it's it's similar. So it's a it's a Darren Aronofsky thing. So it sort of has an art house pedigree. It is a movie that's it's it's not quite as ambitious in that it only takes place at three different time periods, two of which might be fantasies. From the I I, I don't remember all the details, but there's a, a conquistador Hugh Jackman, a brain neuroscientist Hugh Jackman, and bald future space tree explorer Hugh Jackman. Right. And and I know you think I'm making fun of it, but I'm actually trying to describe it as accurately as yeah. possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For those of you who remember. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, unfortunately. Right. right. And it's sort of like, it's like, is it about reincarnation? Is it about different ways of telling the same story? You know what would be a really awesome movie uh, yeah, that I would buy a ticket right now okay, for? Okay, go on. Is Hugh Jackman Beyond Thunderdrum. <laughs> yeah, that actually would be great. Especially if Asian Hugo Weaving is in it. That'd be great. <laughs> if Asian Hugo Weaving is in it, I'm boycotting. He, he's he's much more believable as an elf than as a Korean. I'm just going to say that right now. <laughs> I don't know. Asian Hugo Weaving is, is maybe better than Leprechaun Hugo Weaving. Yeah, he was, that was rough. Or like Slave Owner Leprechaun, Hugo Weaving. But with Hugh Jackman in it? Sorry, not with Hugh Jackman. If you remake Cloud Atlas with Hugh Jackman as every character, it would be better than Cloud Atlas, except for the, except for the the, um, the parts of the nursing home. Although, because Jim Jim Broadbent is actually really good, as right. you said. And then it could be a musical too, because Hugh Jackman loves to. He'll work yeah. in a song anywhere. I actually saw a musical this week that kind of uh, reminded me of I, – I saw Company all the way through for the first time, which is similar to Cloud Atlas in that it sort of starts started life as kind of a uh, a work that was incompatible with what the final project had to look like. Someone right? got it was like Netflix. A, I know. Exactly. It's free on Netflix now. You watch it and it's great. <laughs> um, you watch all this old stuff. But yeah, but it was like a series of short vignettes that were written for specific singers and whatnot. And then they sort of shoehorn it together into one piece. And then has problems. But they're not like hugely fatal problems in the same just respect as uh, – you know, I know Matt likes Cloud Atlas, so I should stop bashing it as much. As- well, and, uh, yeah, well, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I thought parts of it were sort of silly and parts of it were a little uh, insulting to the audience. But, I mean, this is a world of Green Lantern, right? Like, I, it was less insulting to the audience than most things I see at, at the movie theater. Man, you're so jaded. Hollywood has really jaded you, man. Yeah. Also, can, can we be totally honest? Who has actually seen Green Lantern on the podcast? <laughs> I walked through Penn Station, which had so many advertisements for Green Lantern. It feels like I saw it. Because, you know, I almost feel like I need to see it just to, just to know if I owe an apology to, to Ryan Reynolds. To Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, I'm sure it's the best movie ever made. And that the only reason that more people didn't see it is that there was actually a secret plot by the government to stop us from seeing it so that other movies could still make money. Because otherwise the entire movie industry would just pack up shop and go home because they've they're finished. They don't need to do anything further. Hey, maybe we uh, could do a maybe we could do like a supplemental podcast episode about company and about like uh Sondheim musicals um in general. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Exactly, exactly. We could do an overview. The overthinkers. When they finally come out with it on DVD, we could do an overview for the Stephen Colbert and Neil Patrick Harris one. Hopefully they'll publish that at some point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which which company did you see, by the way? Did you see the the um oh what's his name? Raul Esparza one? Yeah, I saw the Raul the one where they play their own musical instruments. Yeah. Uh interesting. It was okay. No, it's good. Right. I like it, it was I. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so what else did other people do? Because we've sort of cloud atlas the whole uh, – we've consumed so much of all of your guys' we've time. We've done six podcasts in one. Wouldn't it be I funny? I mean, wouldn't it be funny if we just uh, – if we had six different podcasts, if we recorded like six 10-minute podcasts <laughs> and then edited them, edited them together pretty right. much at random, uh, you know, to highlight that. <laughs> what would be what would be the like the the truths that we would discover that right that that uh endure from podcast in podcast to podcast because uh, we're coming up on year four here guys so it might be time to take stock would we have to adapt various vaguely offensive accents so we can be different races throughout the different uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The different but, but, yeah please don't do an, uh, do a podcast where you all are korean like, oh, like we're gonna have really big problems <laughs> yeah and i went and i went to go see the uva ball movie and it was below my standards oh yeah. So you have a ball with the postal. Oh, he's I, not the post office man. You should not watch you have a ball. I watched Das Boat for the 50th <laughs> time, and it was glorious. I do not apologize for my fondness for the Uwe ball. <laughs> this, is, this is the culture that I like. I like sprockets. It's very realistic. Yeah, it's yeah. Documentary events were filmed in real time. Sprockets, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it funny to see the the uh, terrible economic crisis that Spain and Greece are in? <laughs> if, they, if only they had a stringent banking regulation. Okay, so that's oh, no, one. German Hugo weaving, which is every Hugo weaving. <laughs> Okay, and and Matt, you you got to watch out talking about banking regulation. As I discovered in my article last week, that if you get too close to the, the gold standard, pe- people come out of the woodwork at you. Yeah, oh. <laughs> uh, they come out of the woodwork. Google Ron Paul. <laughs> Google Ron Paul too. It's delicious. <laughs> Can we share some quick thoughts on Halloween and Halloween costumes to wrap up this podcast? Google German Ron Paul. <laughs> Because okay, the Halloween uh, I, I, I am hijacking this this podcast in the name of Halloween, that most sacred of American slutty Halloween uh, slutty costume holidays. Okay, um, please for the love of God, if you're not following us on Twitter, check our Twitter account. I retweeted something um, that where somebody posted a picture of someone with the most amazing Halloween costume I've ever seen. It is a guy uh, who his costume is a Shea Guevara T-shirt. His face is like painted red. He's got the beard and the beret, and he ha- his, fra- his entire face is framed by a T-shirt. It is the most amazing thing I've ever seen on Twitter. I highly encourage you to check it out. And your Halloween <laughs> costume will pale in comparison to it. So that's one th- Halloween costume. We costume. actually the other we one would is- like you. We would like you to to tweet us your pictures of your Halloween costume at Overthinking It. Right. Back. I, I put out the call this weekend because I realized that you know many of you probably observed Halloween this past weekend, and so I, I would like you know to share with the world the ingenuity of the Overthinkers. Um, so uh, you know at Overthinking It. Yeah, tweet us some some pictures. Sorry, Mark. Yeah. What's the second one? Okay. The other thing is that um, between going out in New York City Friday and Saturday night. I did not see a single women in binders costume. Not a single one. I'm so disappointed in in you, you know, the, the royal you out there. Um, binders I, I binders like, full of women. They didn't yeah. take the, the refrigerator box, paint it white, right? Like make uh, make binder rings out of Trapper tin. keeper on yeah. the side. Yeah, <laughs> out of tin foil. I mean, you can even be like sexy women in binder you know like it's it's such an obviously perfect timely and uh, column costume with sexy possibilities why didn't this happen 
Yeah, you can wear a you can wear like a spandex unitard right like underneath the binder. Uh, if know. that, yeah. <laughs> Look, take your take your fellocracy away from my bold choice for Halloween costume. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna do just what dudes want me to do. I'll dress up like I want to dress up, which is as a, a sexy nurse. It's my situation. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a lot of it was. A, I think it was a pretty cool, very geek centric Halloween in the in the circles I was running in, and and I think I heard that from some of the other people on the Twitters too. This oh, I'm Halloween. shocked. I know exactly. Right. Oh my god. Oh my god, <laughs> guys. This is the Damn. this is the Molly Shannon podcast that we're doing in Molly Shannon world with Molly Shannon Hugo weaving. Uh, (laughs) but yeah lots of i saw darth garth was good that was fun has it been um um, my my experience has been uh maybe a little a a little more scary than that like i was jogging around my neighborhood the other day and so i saw like a lot of i covered a lot of ground and i i saw a bunch of halloween decorations and a few of them were like seriously intense like there was a hanged mannequin uh uh, there was a hanged mannequin that I saw as I rounded a corner and I saw it from behind and I was like, wow, the lynching Halloween decoration is not funny. And then I, I, you know, saw the other side of it and it was like a skeleton that was hanged. And then I saw another one that was like, a, you know, a Grim Reaper standing over a hogtied body, uh, you know, uh, uh, lying on the ground like it, 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 it was intense. Like, you know, poop got real, right? <laughs> <laughs> on on my jog, I don't know. I mean, maybe this is just how we roll down in Culver City. But the the uh, it has not been whimsical. It has not been lighthearted. It has not been pop culture inflected in my um, experience. I, I blame the economy. See, the most worried I got was when two Miss Piggy showed up to the same party, and I was worried there was going to be a diva off. <laughs> it was a very intense moment, but mm-hmm. it turned out to be okay. Is anyone going to uh, is anyone going to hand out candy on Wednesday? Oh, Halloween still has to happen. Oh, <laughs> no, geez. yeah, no, it's over. not. It's not actually over yet. <laughs> it's still going out, and it's funny. It's like you know, when I was a kid, I always thought when I grow up, I'm going to hand. Out, I'm going to be the guy who hands out the real size candy bars, not like the bite size ones, but like a full out <laughs> three musketeers. Um, so I don't know. That's that's just how I rule. If anyone's hanging around New York. And you're looking, you're looking for a sweet ass haul. I don't want to. You should, you should uh, hit me up in the comment section. And I'll, I'll give you the address. So, Pete, you, you um, get- you, you uh, tweeted a picture of yourself in your own Halloween costume. Uh, yeah, this is true. I believe Did you guys re- dress up. Reading what? a copy reading? of Nora Roberts' uh, Night Shield. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Which is a story of cops and romance. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, no, I was, uh, I was, I, it's my overthinking it avatar. If you keep overthinking it, people might recognize it. Like my, uh, my little avatar, my little avatar, it's me playing air guitar at uh, Stokes's wedding. But I also have on this um, headband for Kakashi, Hataki Kakashi, the ninja mentor from Naruto. And so I made that my Halloween costume this year. Yeah, and he one of his character issues is he reads like uh, or character development notes is that he likes to read kind of trashy romance novels and kind of like uh, entertaining smutty fiction, uh, and so it's you know it's Japanese so it's kind of like a funny haha joke whereas in an American show it would be kind of creepy. <laughs> so I went to a bookstore and I was like, what what's what book is like sort of serialized enough? What romance novelist is sort of serialized enough, trashy enough that he would live would be like a good analogy for like Ishi Ishi Paradise or whatever it was that he reads in the and it was Nora Roberts. So, yeah. So. Did you actually read any of the Nora Roberts? Only the back, which was really in, in, in entertaining. 
it was uh, she's too much of a cop to fall for his charms. It was pretty funny. <laughs> nice. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And I got actual knives, which I didn't really need to get. Have you guys ever ordered anything on Amazon, right? You go to order something on Amazon, they recommend that you buy it as part of a package. Like, oh, you should buy these two other things. And if you buy everything, like, with the shipping, it's actually about the same price, so you go for it. And then the thing that arrives is, like, really different from what you expected. Because <laughs> um, I ordered these, like, Naruto kunai knives, right, uh, that, that came with my little headband thing. And they're actual freaking, like, metal throwing knives <laughs> that are sharp <laughs> and dangerous. <laughs> it's like, these are these are not costume pieces at all. They don't say Naruto on them. They just say China, right? And they just kind of <laughs> they come in like a protective case so that you don't stab yourself with them if you carry them around. But yeah, 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 exactly. Obviously, you have a thing to a thing or two to learn about martial arts from uh, Korean Hugo weaving. That's true. <laughs> don't we all? In a way, don't we all? In a way, we all have something to learn from uh, Korean Hugo weaving. Well, uh, so maybe that's our uh, conversation for this week. Um, we'd like to uh, we'd like for you to to actually buy uh, something because we have a sponsor this week, which is our own uh, overview of Casino Royale. The Bond movie, Casino Royale, the gritty reboot of uh, the James Bond franchise in honor of Skyfall, which is, uh, I don't know, broke all kinds of records in the UK uh, this week and, and like, um, you know, is poised to, to do go great guns here. Um, uh, in honor of that, we have uh, recorded an overview of Casino Royale. I was not on it, but Mark and Pete uh, recorded it. Can you give us a little preview of, of coming attractions, as it were? Yeah, uh, we also did it with John Parrish. Right. Um, it is our typical overview, a uh, mixture of fun, entertaining uh, uh, aspects, as well as the educational things. We talk a lot about the financial aspects of the villain's complicated finance, uh, 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 stock scheme. Yeah. In the- <laughs> to finance international terror. We, get, we, we go pretty far down the rabbit hole. It's yeah. pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's a pretty complicated scheme. I actually, I had never seen it before, and a little way into the overview, I accidentally guessed the entire plot. So, <laughs> and it gets a little bit dicey from there, but uh, but yeah, exactly. No, it's a fun one, and there's a really cool vest with uh, cards on it that's in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I still think you should use that as the promo graphic, but you know, you make the call, Mark. Yeah, that could so. be. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's a suspenseful part. What will be the promo graphic for um, for the overview? So you can find that uh, on the homepage uh, of the website. Um, we would like you to call in. We actually we burned through our backlog of phone calls, so you know, uh, fields wide open, guys. It's if you call in now, it'll only be six to nine months before we play your voicemail on the Overthinking and Podcast. That number. Number is 203-285-6401. You can call or text. We have a backlog of texts, actually, which we might get to uh, sometime soon. 203-285-6401. You can email us if you want to get in touch one-on-one at podcast at overthinkingit.com. Or you can join us in the, uh, the comments on the show notes for this episode and join the always lively conversations there. Um, I would like to ask... uh, something of you this week we sometimes ask you to rate the show on itunes to to leave a star rating or leave a review or something like that and i I suppose if you've not done that we would really appreciate it because that really surfaces us in their um 
in their listings. And it's especially helpful if you do it the day the show comes out or the day after the show comes out, like right, right in line. If we can really like, you know, maximize our impact with publishing the episode and a lot of ratings, but will will you do this? We we've sort of uh, had on and off some talks about how to, uh, for, for want of a more crass term, market the podcast and expand our audience. Um, and, you know, we talked about other podcasts and guest spots and, and uh, you know, ways to advertise as though that were, were even really an option uh, for us. But, um, you know, one thing we might do is just ask you, could you share this Overthinking a Podcast with a, uh, with a friend? This is a pretty user-friendly episode to start with. Uh, if you have someone, if you have a smart, funny friend who you think uh, might be as cool as you... Would you share the Overthinking a Podcast uh, mm-hmm. with them? It's, uh, you know, you can give them the address uh, overthinkingit.com slash OTIP, or you can just share the, the URL for this episode. We, we would really, uh, really appreciate it if you, um, uh, you know, felt strongly enough about this show to share it with your friends. All right. End of shameless plug, end of uh, promotion, self-promotion, uh, and thanks very much for your help. You can uh, find us online all week at um, uh, at the website. Oh, wow, I really screwed up my outro, didn't I? <laughs> it actually goes like this. This show will be back next week, but until then, you can find us on the website all week at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny... It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't, doesn't. 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 Hugo Weaving style. <laughs> hey, sexy Hugo Weaving. Sexy Hugo Weaving style. You guys, last year um, when Hurricane Irene was about to not hit New York City, I went out to karaoke and I sang uh, Rock You Like a Hurricane. Um, so I, I feel like, I don't know, uh, I need to not make that inappropriate joke this time around. Fuck you like a hurricane! Da-da, 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 da-da.